Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. My guest today is Nick Matthews, the co-founder and CEO of Mainvest. Mainvest is a fractional investment platform for small businesses. For as little as $100, Mainvest gives investors the opportunity to invest in small businesses across different communities. Think independent movie theaters, breweries, restaurants, donut shops, office cooperatives. Nick and I are going to talk about the mission-driven purpose of Mainvest, his time at Uber when it was a relatively small startup, and what makes Mainvest a compelling investment platform. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nick. Okay, Nick, thanks for uh, joining us today on the Alts Podcast. Great to have you, man. Thanks for having me. You know, we're here to talk about Mainvest. It's a fractional platform focusing on small businesses and uh, really highlighting that sector almost as an alternative asset. And before we do that, you know, because I was just fascinated, um, you know, you actually have, you started working at Uber from when it was in an early stage. And I'm always fascinated, right? Like, it's grown to such a huge company. I was wondering if you could just talk about your time at Uber and what kind of led you down this path to then focus on on small businesses. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I joined Uber back in uh, 2011 uh, as part of like a small team. We launched Boston, which is like our fifth market at the uh, at the time and actually grew with the firm and worked intensely to, to grow the company um, with a group of very talented people over the next six and a half years. You know, there's a lot of similarities in like the back end, like outside of the investing side, uh, kind of for how we think about Mainvest and this concept of like hyper local and communities, and what we were doing at Uber, where you know we had this model of building out these kind of in city networks, um, working with a bunch of small business owners in the form of black car drivers at the um, kind of inception point of it. Um, eventually moving to UberX and the P2P model, which was you know slightly slightly different for uh, you know the, the ride sharing model of it. Uh, but when we started, it was we were working with a bunch of passionate small business owners that their office was you know these beautiful like Lincoln Town cars and Suburbans, and they were not utilizing them to the maximum of that ability. And a lot of kind of the early uh, inception of Uber and the value of it was around taking this underutilized asset that was like sitting not. Uh, generating revenue for these owners, you know, half the day and finding ways to provide that incremental value by solving transportation issues on the consumer side. You know, what people I think don't think about is in those early days, you know, we met in like you're handing iPhones and educating like, ev- like every individual driver and the, their like small business enablement was, was a big part of it. It's crazy to try to like condense six and a half years, but there, yeah, I think they were really like you know, growing over the kind of like the three phases of it of you know like the cold start that maybe that like first two years, the middle stage of hyper growth, and then the like you know, twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen for us was you know, we were at like fifteen thousand plus employees and were had grown with a lot of duct tape on a lot of different things and so kind of had like stepping back and making sure that we could continue to grow but you know taking a deeper look into processes and of course doing that adding bureaucracy and having it be a much larger company which there were plenty of good things about that but also plenty of challenges and i think that's where you know i wouldn't have considered myself like a serial entrepreneur but in the inception for Mainvest and really thinking about 
you know, seeing this change in regulations with the Jobs Acts and regulation crowdfunding, seeing everyone talking about it for equity crowdfunding into like early stage tech startups, and then thinking, well, early stage tech startups have access to venture capital, they have access to private equity. There's a much larger capital access gap for small businesses. And if we're able to kind of build a marketplace utilizing these regs that enables uh, a capital formation marketplace for small businesses where they're setting, you know, compelling terms that their community can actually invest in, moving that market underwriting stage into that capital formation stage, you start with, you know, raising $100,000, $200,000 to start or grow your business, but also with that community market validation that props up the value of the asset class and the performance of the asset class as a whole. Yeah. So when you kind of are able to frame Uber, right, and everybody and, and every owner as kind of like um, kind of a small business owner, right? Because like you said, uh, you know, they have this asset, they're using the, you know, their cars. I could kind of see now, I could kind of connect it to then, hey, going from this ride sharing model to a bigger small business, I guess, uh, class, right? W- was that something that became obvious to you? As you were, you know, looking at, at this opening up of, of alternative assets and like you said, the Jobs Act, what was it that you saw in those small businesses? For one, we saw a uh, just massive challenge around their like legacy and institutional lending, whose uh, ability to be efficiently distributing capital to these businesses. And, you know, you talk about like those vanity stats around like 90% of restaurants fail in their first year of operations. Like well, that's, that's not real. But what kind of like leads to that and why? Why after the 2008 recession, uh, institutional lending into small businesses dropped 69% and over the next 10 years barely recovered 10%. There was kind of a, a break in the legacy model's ability to efficiently deploy that capital. And that was, I think, um, where the Uber connection comes in is really more around the challenges of of executing something like this and building that out. There are a lot of similarities in terms of like the hyper-local marketplace aspect where you have multiple businesses that are utilizing this raising in a certain area, they're able to unlock incremental capital from that community and drive kind of a more efficient marketplace there. But the institutional lending and underwriting model just felt inherently broken because it's missing one of the core, what we we believed, and I think the our performance throughout the pandemic with a predominantly brick and mortar asset class helps to validate core aspects of the underwriting, which is market validation. So you know, really what led to the initial kind of questioning was these like single institutions that are deploying levered capital into these businesses are basically underwriting post-recession purely on like the underlying assets and the ability to collateralize. So it's less of, you know, great, this is an awesome business plan. We think there's a community need for this. And it became much more how many beds, how many baths, how far along are you in your mortgage payment? And that that doesn't drive efficient underwriting. And so when you have the community coming in and voting with their wallets, saying they want this business there, and then you build a security that aligns incentive and interest where, you know, the security we utilize is a revenue sharing note. So businesses are actually sharing a portion of their revenue back to investors, providing liquidity on a quarterly basis. And the ability to turn communities into customers and customers into evangelists, you're not just solving that front end capital access challenge for the businesses. On the back end, you're also putting like butts in seats, literally, uh, of evangelists in these restaurants and bars and yoga studios to enable them to outperform kind of the mean expectation. 
Yeah, and then that kind of explains, you know, kind of like that that need that you're filling in, and it's so cool because I see that all you know all the different businesses that you have under under Mainvest and that have been you know fortunate enough to kind of get that funding from from the community. If you don't mind, before we move on to to, to that, at what point did you realize that you wanted to move? You know, you know, because you you were with Uber early on, you you were with them through that hyper growth, like you mentioned, a lot of work. At what point did you start realizing that you kind of wanted to branch off on your own? You identified that there was this inefficiency. But then at what point do you realize, I, I want to take that jump. I want to go, you know, and, and do this for myself. I, I don't think it was a single day. It really started with, you know, in early 2016, when I saw these regulations like being commented on the floor of the House and the Senate and saw that they might be able to be retrofit to create an opening for this marketplace. That started a nearly two-year-long kind of side hustle process of really digging in and figuring out how things could work, how the mechanics would work, bringing on two great co-founders with Ben Blyden, our CFO, and Felix Adam, our CTO, um, over that next two-year period. And where we finally decided to make the jump was when we were like, the timing is right for this. We believe we can do this. And we've put a lot of thought into the complexities of this marketplace, the skill sets we have, the team we need to be building to take that leap. Awesome. So let's let's head into uh, the main best. And and you talked you, you touch on a little bit of the financial model and kind of the need that you're filling in. So you're basically saying, you know, and, and I'm kind of rephrasing the question here, uh, my own question, when somebody wanted to take out a loan, right, uh, to start a, a small business, and they didn't necessarily have that um, that capital or they didn't have the uh, the hard assets to back it up, right? You felt like there were barriers to entry there for a lot of these, you know, entrepreneurs and business potential business owners. That had great ideas, they just couldn't get it funded. So, what are the advantages then of of kind of like going through Mainvest as opposed to say going through a bank besides that uh, access to capital? Well, I mean, access to capital is definitely the the primary one, but it really is around the alignment of interests and the ability to turn you know your customers into evangelists or potential like friends and family, having a vehicle to secure that capital, and then with the structuring of the security getting that added benefit of the aligned interest of people in the community. And that's why, like, if you look at the businesses on the Mainvest platform, uh, they're predominantly brick and mortar business to consumer, you know, like an accounting firm probably wouldn't necessarily want, like come to Mainvest like to raise capital to like secure a new office or buy a new office furniture. It's that ability to go out and as the entrepreneur put together this round to get the capital they need, have that in their control, um, be able to pitch it. Through that, you know, if, if you've ever experienced, um, you know, fundraising in any way, shape or form, you know, as you go through a period of fundraising, you really get the hard questions asked about the business and it helps really hone in, you know, the challenges that are going to be faced there. And all of that kind of feeds into this security that's designed to be flexible because it's tied to revenue, it's performance based, aligns interests and can be priced, you know, in like a 10 to 25% IRR range to be both compelling to investors and problem solving for businesses. That's really cool because I realize a lot of the, the small businesses on your platform, you know, they're they're all over, right? Uh, they're in bigger cities like Brooklyn, uh, Boston, and then they're also like in smaller, you know, towns, I guess, in different parts of the country. Do you find that that a lot of the community kind of rallies behind um, these businesses that are raising capital? Or do you find that, um, you know, investors are just looking to invest in, in a great idea and a, and a great concept? Could you talk a little bit more about that community-based aspect of it? Yeah, and, and that's really like a core part of the underwriting for these is the community and the people that are actually the market these businesses are serving being that first step of validation. So like there are other businesses that are currently raising that aren't displayed there. 
we kind of have these thresholds of community vetted or community invested that need to be hit before a business gets publicly shown on our platform to retail investors and to other people that are looking to participate in it as an asset class. You know, we have our internal vetting that we do, uh, we accept maybe around 5% of businesses that um, apply to come onto the platform. But the real magic of the end state performance of the asset class starts with the community voting with their wallets and, you know, again, turning communities into customers and customers into evangelists. Yeah, because that's who they're serving, right? I mean, I would love for for uh, one of these businesses to be, you know, right outside my front door, right, my front step, and where I could walk and and I'd be supporting that, them every day, um, if if it's a place I can invest in and also, you know, have utility from. This is so cool. So when you invest, right, on your platform, in in some ways you're becoming kind of like a partner with the business. And you mentioned about there being quarterly, you know, returns and 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 there there are different um, sort of benchmarks that the company needs to hit. Sort of want to take an investor through this this process. What are the minimums for investing in, in, a, in a company on the platform? And then when and by how much can they expect to kind of return over a set period of time? For sure. So the minimum investment is $100 into any of the businesses on the platform. Average investment on the platform is maybe like around like 1000 1500 fluctuates, of course. And each opportunity is priced with its own return. And the way you, you can kind of evaluate, you know, like looking at the risk profile, you know, you're able to look at the historical financials of the business, look at the pro forma projections, look at their business model. And through that pricing of the security, based on the percentage of revenue that they're going to be repaying quarterly, based on the total amount that they're going to be paying over a period of time, kind of prices into an IRR in return. And so like, you know, the majority of investments on the platform are priced at a projected 10 to 25% annualized return to investors. We've been around for three and a half years, the majority of it during the pandemic, which is where I think, you know, despite those challenges, seeing the quality of our previous businesses with the strong caveat, past past performance is not an indicator of future performance, of course. We're not recommending any individual securities to investors, but we've had a few businesses actually accelerate and finish their full repayment cycle in the last two quarters. And they've they've averaged a 30% annualized return um, from the actual historical businesses, which is I would say far above uh, what the mean would be on the platform, and not something to expect. But it has been pretty compelling to see. Yeah, and and so I guess what I'm what I'm kind of gearing up here and putting my, my my mind around it is, these small businesses are able to get capital that they otherwise wouldn't have access to, and then in return they're actually going to pay out uh, because they can get this capital. They're they're going to pay out a higher uh, interest rate, right? Right. A higher higher rate to its investors than they would to a bank. So it's almost like a you know, the best of both worlds, you know, banks might get asked for a five, 6% return. But if you're saying that, you know, some, some uh, investors are going to get 10, 25% return, that's, that's pretty uh, compelling. Right. And it's not just like the, the access to capital, like around 70% of the business on the platform um, have, have secured like SBA backed lending. It's additional capital or incremental growth capital mm-hmm. for a lot of them. It's not like these businesses aren't bankable. But the value proposition for Mainvest with the flexibility of the revenue share note, with the alignment of interests and the ability to like utilize it as both a marketing campaign and an engagement tool for the community on the front end, um, that's where I think businesses are seeing an immense amount of value. And the fact that the security plays well with other forms of financing isn't preventative there. Um, it really just is an unlock for businesses to get that crucial growth capital that they need to take their business to the next level. And so you have you have a pretty thorough um, background check or you know, in order to get on your platform, they, the businesses have to raise a certain amount of money on their own. 
does Mainvest get involved with a business like say not not that it's necessarily going to be distressed at some point? Is Mainvest also involved with the business in, in say uh, helping with its marketing on top of that, uh, helping with its uh, maybe sourcing other things, just other parts that sometimes a business might need more help than just fundraising once they do get the money? Or are you solely kind of like just focused on on, on the financial? Well, now you're getting into like some of our longer term vision stuff and what we're really excited about because we do have these businesses and they work with us once they've successfully raised on the platform. You know, we obviously take responsibility on facilitating those repayments so that the business isn't writing, you know, 150 checks every three months and mailing those out. And because of that, we have the real time performance data of these businesses throughout their life cycle. The way we think about the long term ecosystem of Mainvest is every single thing that we can do that provides incremental value to these businesses and increases their success rate translates into a a higher and better performing asset class, better returns to investors, which then leads to more attractiveness of of the marketplace to a larger swath of people. So we absolutely have very vibrant plans um, as we're building out kind of the long-term state of our backend product beyond facilitating just like the debt instrument, um, providing like different forms of value to businesses as really as the market is kind of telling us, you know, what challenges these businesses are facing, what they need. There's a, we're doing a lot of research right now around um, localized job markets. And, you know, we know that right now the challenges small businesses are facing coming out of the pandemic um, are a lot of like the outputs of it where, you know, you're looking at major staffing shortages, challenges around labor. You're looking at these supply chain challenges that, you know, trickle down to various aspects of these brick and mortar businesses. Being able to, you know, have a like, concerted network of businesses that's just continuing to grow where we're getting all of this real-time feedback allows us to prioritize our, like, engineer's output and our business development output to make sure that we can continue to provide value throughout the entirety of their life cycle. What would you say now that the the small business uh, sort of community at large in, in, the, in the United States, w- what is the state of it? You know, there there are some um, uh, you know report saying that the unemployment rate's down to like three point eight percent, I believe today. Uh, reporting today or yesterday came out, which is incredibly healthy. But are you seeing that? I mean, is is that something that that you're seeing that these uh, these small businesses in general are kind of recovering and, and getting more employees, uh, you know, workers? We're seeing that within our subset for sure. And I think that like feeds into the, you know, these businesses that are able to get that market validation, have that community buy-in, you know, tend to outperform the mean by a pretty large margin. And at the same time, like over the last few months, that was definitely still a big challenge for them around, um, you know, like sourcing for the like job markets and finding like long-term labor. And where what we're seeing in terms of innovations in the small business space really is, um, you know, in the food, bev, and restaurant space, businesses doing better jobs at like kind of equalizing um, pay across back of house, front of house, um, figuring out better ways to, without like overtly passing on too much of those costs to consumers, create longer term kind of career paths for employees rather than thinking about it as like a flex labor force and kind of driving into fostering like like longer term careers in the food and bev space and the businesses that are doing that and they're creating environments um where like you're not just coming in as like a line cook that's like dispendable and you know don't really feel like part of the team you're just kind of there to like you know pump out pizzas or whatever that model creates an immense amount of churn and so being able to properly incentivize through like employee ownership you know through better kind of marginalized salaries across the board and more consistent job opportunities 
like the cost of like switching employees constantly and having that mass churn is far higher than the cost of investing in um, longer term relationships with existing employees. And I think that's something that coming out of the pandemic with the staffing challenges that were presented towards um, the middle and end of it, you know, from a mix of unemployment, a mix of like inability to have your doors open at various points in the last two years. I think that's where the learnings are really taking effect and leading to a much more robust and resilient asset class coming out of it. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, the community as a whole, like business community as a whole, had to reform itself. And, and the wake up call was the pandemic, right? Because people just wanted to change. And maybe it was just a matter of pay. Maybe it was a flexibility. Um, I, I feel like it, it made a lot of business, small businesses and, and corporations realize that they, they had to do it a little bit differently at the very least. They, they just couldn't go back to the same old, same old. Absolutely. You have to invest in your employees unless you consider them like part-time help. And it's the part-time help that that model, I think, is on its way out. And what we're seeing with, you know, entrepreneurs that are like all these small business owners are like very much entrepreneurs and they're brick and mortar businesses with immense amount of passion and them building out really, really strong, loyal teams and being able to maintain that talent is definitely an output of learnings from the pandemic. And something that I think when you look at like larger, you know, like chain restaurants, like Olive Garden, like having the same kind of staffing challenges, but not being able to solve them. That's a lot of talent that that's, that's then going to these more independently owned, uh, better foster community businesses that are providing an immense amount of value back to both their employees as well as the community as a whole. Yeah, for sure. You know, if, if I can say so, and if you don't mind talking about it, you know, I noticed on the platform, you know, where we talk about social equity and you could talk about it from different perspectives. I mean, one perspective, obviously, we just talked about is the financial perspective raising wages, uh, having a, you know, a better work, uh, life balance, especially for, for, you know, uh, mothers, single mothers, right. With kids. The other part is, is you, you kind of, I feel like you've highlighted minority businesses on your platform and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's, it's, it's deliberate, right? Like you're, you're supporting minority businesses. You feel like it's one of your philosophies. Absolutely. Look, I, I think, you know, when we think about ourselves, we're on one side of this platform, an alt investment platform for retail investors to diversify into this asset class of revenue backed securities. On the other side, we're a massive mission-driven support and enablement platform uh, to provide equitable access to capital to quality entrepreneurs. And if you look at stats around institutional lending, and it, like both in the venture capital and in the small business space, um, there's an immense amount of bias uh, and inequality around capital distribution that we're very excited to sh- like see like with our data that we're not seeing that same thing with um, investors and businesses on the platform. People are investing very meritocratically based on businesses that they want and they believe in. And that creates better opportunities for um, women-owned minority businesses to be able to capitalize in, in a better way um, without having to face that institutional prejudice. Yeah, it's awesome. Do you, do you mind getting into some some business just in general, right? Um, some of your favorite businesses that you've seen flourish. Oh, don't make me say favorite businesses. You know what? I was like, don't say favorite. Don't say favorite. S- standouts. You know, something that that comes to to mind, like a, a a success story that you know you're like, you know, man, we're we're making a difference. Obviously, you know, you're a business, and and we all know we all know business is, is great. But um, at the end of the day, like, is there some a story, a particular entrepreneur that kind of like this is this is great? I'm really happy that I'm doing this. Oh, man, there, there's again so many, and um, I definitely don't want to provide too much favoritism. But uh, I mean, like, I think one amazing example: uh, Raz Ethiopian is a minority Ethiopian restaurant in Brooklyn that had raised on the platform. Right, I think like the start of the pandemic finally opened their doors. Or actually, I think it was a little bit before. 
they were a business that they actually accelerated. They grew so quickly and so efficiently through the pandemic that they ended up paying back their investors two and a half, three years early with a 36% um, annualized return for those investors. And I believe they're planning on expanding to another location. We're going to be very excited to have them back on the platform. But just seeing um, across our subset of the asset class, the grit and resilience and innovation in the small business space, you don't really hear people talking about innovation in the small business space, right? But during the pandemic, seeing, you know, breweries doing like ticketed Zoom tastings, maybe like 17 seat restaurants that had built their entire pro forma projections off of seating capacity, and then maybe had like a 10% multiplier for like, uh, delivery and takeout, switching to basically this like ghost kitchen delivery takeout model and being able to drastically increase their output and serve the community at, at this time just really showed how, you know, amazingly resilient uh, a subset of entrepreneurs can be and in not just fighting through a pandemic, but actually being able to grow through it and innovate through it and end up on the other side of it with a new set of tools and tactics in the, in the tool belt to to continue to grow scale and build business amidst this crazy opportunity that we're seeing coming out of the pandemic to rebuild Main Street. I'm just curious, you know, with Uber, and I'm just thinking a lot of the battles were, you know, politics, right? And and kind of the way that things had, had been done before. What is your role, right? Because you are kind of embedding yourself in into these small businesses, into communities. What has your role been? And, and do, you, do you see your, your role changing even with you know city councils or with uh, business improvement districts, where they they look to you or they seek you out to kind of uh, help them, you know maybe generate some ideas for some storefronts that are dilapidated and you know they're trying to get ideas for how to develop their their small businesses. We have some great relationships with um, economic development organizations across the country. Uh, a lot of them were like initially formed in Massachusetts where we, we, we first started. And, you know, that's kind of our role in all of this on the economic development side, you know, Mainvest was built off of economic development thesis and this concept of if you can take market underwriting, tie it with like newly accessible retail investment, you know, say like diversify 5% of investable inventory in a given community out of the S&P and directly into businesses in that community. That creates a closed loop capital cycle where you have an accelerated economic development through, um, and, and growth of the community through wealth building of the actual community itself. And then as those returns are paid back to those investors in the community, they can either be reinvested into new businesses in the community or be used to patron existing businesses. And that creates, you know, we call it the closed capital loop cycle for economic development where cities are able to grow and establish themselves from within as opposed to from like, you know, I think one of the more common outside capital uh, economic development methodologies used is like a you know the New York private equity firm coming in and building a luxury condo, plopping a Whole Foods next to it, plopping a Banana Republic, plopping a Papyrus, all paying minimum wage jobs. That's not good for the overarching community. It's good for a small subset. Yeah, uh, and Nick, if you don't mind my saying, it's, it's so it's so cool, right? I mean, it, it almost feels like. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like a guy from Uber, right? You know, one of these giant megalith, you know, corporations in the world saying this is almost like, huh? You know, well, look, I think Uber grew to be a massive company and we definitely uh, have like over various periods of time 
Um, you know, there were a bunch of great people working there and it's tough, like being on, seeing it on the inside, seeing how mission driven we were, like, especially like in the earlier stages of it. And then kind of comparing that to public perception, Uber, as it grew as a company, you know, definitely became incredibly big for its riches. And there are a lot of challenges there. And that leadership is not representative, I think, of the actual leadership of the company uh, at various stages in time. But there were a lot of things that were done in the name of growth that, you know, maybe weren't aligned with um, what our actual core values were. And so it is funny. I mean, there's a TV show about it now. It's kind of surreal to me. Uh, <laughs> right. And we know that, that you know, there's going to be a public perception of this crazy behemoth, but what that doesn't really show. And you know, I, I watched the first episode of it, a few of us did. What it doesn't show is, you know, when we were sitting at the Starbucks with the drivers talking about, um, you know, their life story, their challenges, when we're talking to cab drivers that are basically beaten up by medallion owners trying to pull in $120 a day before they can actually make a profit. I'm pretty sure a lot of that stuff's going to be glossed over, um, you know, in the name of kind of in the name of Hollywood there. And it, it is disappointing, but definitely aligning um, on, you know, there are a lot of mission driven people at Uber that were working their asses off to to build a product to provide better accessibility to transportation on one side and create economic gains and development um, with flexible working on the other. There's just signs of things can sometimes go too far. So interesting. Yeah. And, and thank, thank you for, you know, addressing that. And I, and I know you're talking about, I was like, what's the name of that show, but uh, it's, it's called super pumped, right. And it's on, on Showtime. So uh, if anyone's interested uh, in, I guess, seeing the Hollywood version, what are some of the challenges that you see going forward? And when I say challenges, I don't mean necessarily negative. And you, you touched on that before, but maybe they can be something that you could still work on. Um, what are some of the challenges for Mainvest? You know, how do you continue supporting a bunch of these awesome, you know, local companies, local businesses? Because I'm, I'm just seeing, you know, a bunch of great breweries, um, cannabis uh, dispensaries. You're talking about um, different restaurants, Cabo Vegan, Donut Place, cinemas, uh, movie theaters, local movie theaters. Awesome. What is the challenge in, 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 you know, working with such a diverse set of businesses? And then what are some things that you're looking forward to to like kind of scale it up? You know, the, the majority of our business growth has been amidst the pandemic. And one of the challenges we have is in actually communicating the effectiveness of the asset class and the quality of the returns, uh, you know, because we, we are regulated and we want to be super careful about that with all those caveats, past performance, not being an indicator of future performance. But I think earlier, the questions that you were like leading into leads to uh, like the biggest challenge for, for us, I think, is that balancing around our identity as like this mission for good in terms of the economic development side of things and enabling capital access and the quality and value of an investment platform, proving that this asset is absolutely worth diversifying and building into your investment strategy. In a way, it's like a, there's a too good to be truism about it that, that, it, that it does provide handcuffs. And people definitely, especially through the pandemic, probably have this kind of you know preconceived notion that like most small businesses are going to fail and you know that's that's really not necessarily what we're seeing with our subset, but that ability to like dr- drive impactful investment decisions on both a social like equity level as well as on a you know financial diversification level and mirroring those two things together. I will say one of my weaknesses I don't, I don't really touch it that much at all is is on the like branding side of things, and we you know we really just stand by like the operational expertise that we have as a team and our ability to do this, getting that across. You know what we think to really 
continue to grow Mainvest coming out of this pandemic. The biggest challenge turned opportunity is going to be around the rebuilding of of Main Street and being able to um, have like best in class underwriting uh, through like social communities, like unlocking an immense amount of capital to get us you know, through this recession and on the other side with flourishing local economies. Yeah. And, and if I could just touch on that, I mean, it seems like you do have a pretty solid, you know, in terms of, you know, people being leery about investing on the platform because they, they, they have this idea, you know, 90% of small businesses are going to fail, but you do have a, you know, you require them to raise their own capital first. And then you go through a pretty, you know, pretty serious kind of like uh, here, a responsibility check. Then you go through a bad actor check. You kind of, you know, hold the, the, the businesses accountable before they can even appear on your platform. So there, there is that vetting process. Absolutely. You know, I, I guess with, with that, you know, you've explained Manvest very well. I know you've, you you mentioned, because uh, I want to pick up on something you said, Main Street, right? To you, what is Main Street? And and does that have kind of a, a roots in, in, in the, the founding philosophy of the company? Absolutely. And I think we've realized, I remember we were talking to uh, some, I think a London investment firm uh, a while back and realized that like, they don't even utilize that term. It, like it's a, it's a very colloquial term in states. So like, whoops. <laughs> but what, what Main Street really means to us is the kind of cornerstone community. It, it really is like the Main Street of, you know, every small town in America where you have, you know, like your density of like restaurants and coffee shops and people are walking and there's like local retail and shopping and building those vibrant communities that, you know, the businesses raising on Mainfest are cornerstones of local communities and that local community identity. And that's where, you know, if we look at Main Street, it's kind of like a versus it's like main street versus wall street. You know, we want to be able to democratize wealth and capital access. Uh, we want to be able to democratize investment opportunity access to retail investors and take that away from wall street and allow for businesses and communities to like self-develop and have, you know, we're happy to be like the back end kind of infrastructure to unlock and enable what we view as a much better future state than uh, a more like hyper wall street approach where we end up 10 years from now with just like, Olive Garden being like the only place you could eat five nights a week. Yeah, I love it. You know, I, and I meant that in a good way. But, you know, Main Street really. You know, I came. I remember it came across uh, back uh, if I can remember correctly, right around 2011, 2012. We had those those protests down at Wall Street, and uh, you know, Main Street. A lot of people felt you know forgotten, and um, so I just want to say you know that that this idea of going back to your roots, going back to you know the community, small businesses, um, I feel like resonates a lot, especially for people that have gone through that recession in two thousand eight. And, uh, you know, for people that also kind of felt like, you know, through that financial collapse, people kicked out of their homes, there was that longing. And I think, uh, you know, not, not, I'm not going to get too much into it, but I think that there was, there was a shift in, in attitudes as well, good or bad there. But I think what you're doing is really interesting and, and, and supporting the small business. So um, how can people support Mainvest besides, you know, becoming an investor? Um, how can they follow you? Are there any social media accounts that, uh, that they should be aware of? Yeah, yeah. We got a pretty active Instagram, Facebook, the whole startup nine yards. <laughs> And, you know, you can access those just, you know, main investing on Instagram, you just hop on searches on Facebook, but you can also probably find them through this. But I think um, what I would like to say on the you know, outside of, you know, looking and seeing if there's a business that you'd be interested in investing in, if there are businesses and entrepreneurs out there listening uh, that we could be helpful to and that like align with kind of the idea of like, we'd love, we'd love to support them. 2022 is going to be the year of the small business. We, we truly, truly believe that. And this rebounding coming out of the pandemic, the amount of entrepreneurs that are going to be like inked and formated, you know, small business formations grew around 200% 
quarter over quarter for the last like three quarters off of like a, the 10 year average. You know, one of the outliers are like outputs of the pandemic are a lot of people that are de-risked and are going to be starting um, small businesses. And as we talked about institutional lendings and ability to service, especially on like the new business front and without an immense amount of personal equity table, like that creates an amazing opportunity for us to be actually building like the future main streets and future communities and local economies that we, that we want to see. Amazing. Uh, on the flip side, real quick, you know, if, if there's an investor, right, someone's curious, they want to support MainVest, what, what would your uh, kind of uh, advice be for somebody that wants to invest in some businesses? I would say start small, um, for sure. And, you know, if you go on the platform, you can see when you go into uh, businesses like investment page, you have the ability to you know, evaluate their business plan. You can click into the data room, see their pro forma projections, look at the pricing of the terms. But one of the best aspects of the best features of it is the discussion. You can actually go and ask the entrepreneur directly a question about their business or how they're thinking about things, what they plan on doing and create that level of uh, kind of engagement. And then that's like completely public for everybody else to see. So in a way, there's like a live chat kind of deal room diligence process going on throughout the course of every campaign. And it's always amazing to see like great questions that are really like pertinent questions about a business's plans being answered very efficiently uh, by a passionate entrepreneur. You know, as as entrepreneurs ourselves, it's like kind of the best and most stressful job in the world at the same time, basically being this kind of support function for like building machines that build machines in, in the form of these small businesses like they're going to be flourishing across the country. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and if I can add you real quick, I mean, just talking to the, you know, on the podcast, talking to different CEOs, different founders. One of the things that they say is there's nothing like talking directly to the founder, right? The business owner. And and sometimes you just know immediately, like within a minute, you know, whether or not this is a company worth investing in uh, based on, you know, a, a couple of minutes of conversation. Um, and I, I always find that very interesting. So Nick, thank you again. Uh, Nick Matthews, he's the co-founder and CEO of Mainvest. Thank you for all your insights. Uh, we love fractional, um, the fractional alternative asset space. And so uh, we're always really um, happy when we can get, you know, business leaders like yourself on the podcast. Well, again, thanks for having me. Great questions. Love digging in. I think you went a little too deep on the Uber. Let's focus on the now. But hey, <laughs> no worries, man. <laughs> I promise you, I, I think... I think um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it came out great. I just thought that you had such an interesting background uh, story and, and a compelling... A compelling uh, argument for what you guys were doing uh, early on. And, and I, I still think you have a compelling argument. Thanks. It just kind of goes sideways sometimes. But thank you so much, Nick. This was great. And we really appreciate it. No, thank you, man. Nick saw an inefficiency in the market and is capitalizing on an opportunity that not only makes financial sense, but that can also help revive small businesses, the bedrock of the American economy. It was great to hear Nick talk about his time at Uber. And even when things went sideways, the idealism he started with never went away, and it's good to see it carry over into Mainvest and its success, along with the small businesses that it has supported. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.